0: Welcome back to RoshCast for episode 22. This week, we're going to cover some true bread and butter emergency medicine in addition to some more obscure topics like dive medicine. Although the questions may seem a bit easier this week, make sure to pay attention to the specific wording so you don't get tripped up.
1: As always, we'll go one step further with some of the answers, so pay close attention to our discussion of each answer
0: as we'll have some pearls in there as well. All right, let's get started with the rapid review. Since I just got out of a peed shift, let's start there. Do you remember what antibiotics should be given in cases of epiglottitis?
1: In epiglottitis, your main focus should be on emergent airway management. Good antibiotic choices include ampicillin sulbactam or ceftriaxone. And what are the five congenital cyanotic heart defects? We've been through this before, but let's go through it again here for spaced repetition. Think of the numbers 1 through 5. 1 is for truncus arteriosus, in which two vessels join to make 1. 2 is for transposition of the great vessels, in which the two great vessels are switched. 3 is for tricuspid atresia, remember 3 for tricuspid. Four is for the four defects of Tetralogy of Fallot. And lastly, five is for the five words in total
0: anomalous pulmonary vascular return. All right, and one last one for you here. List the three common pediatric acyanotic heart lesions. The three
1: common acyanotic heart lesions are atrial septal defects, ventricular septal defects, and patent ductus arteriosus. Let's get going with the new material. A 19-year-old woman presents with acute onset of shortness of breath and chest pain. Her chest X-ray shows a tension pneumothorax on the right with tracheal deviation to the left. Which of the following provides a definitive management for this condition? Is it A, chest tube placement, B, intubation and mechanical ventilation, C, needle decompression, or D, percutaneous
0: pigtail catheter placement? So this is the classic, did you read the question kind of question. Most of us see the image of a tension pneumothorax or read the word tension pneumothorax and immediately go for needle decompression and move on, but this question explicitly asks about the definitive management of the condition, which is choice A, chest tube thoracostomy. Great catch,
1: because that's the exact trick the question writer wants you to fall for.
0: Don't forget that you can do quick finger
1: thoracostomy, which will relieve the tension pneumo and is also the first step in placing the chest tube. Keep in mind, though, that this technique hasn't hit prime time yet and won't be the right answer on boards for a few years. Yep,
0: and that's what most would advocate for at our shop. Anyway, back to the pneumothoraces. They present in many ways, often with chest pain that may be pleuritic in nature or shortness of breath or even dyspnea. Patients may be hypoxic, tachypneic, or even have decreased breath sounds depending on the size of the pneumothorax. In the case of a tension pneumothorax, the trachea may even be deviated. Exactly, and we
1: have a pretty dramatic picture up on the blog, although I'm sure you've all seen some pretty impressive ones in your own practice. Remember that attention tension pneumothorax really should be identified clinically prior to attaining a chest x-ray. Before we move on, let's go over the other answer choices here as well. Choice B, intubation and mechanical ventilation, that's going to worsen the pneumothorax by providing positive pressure and forcing more air into the chest cavity. As we already discussed, choice C, needle decompression, is only a temporizing measure and won't be definitive for treatment. Lastly, choice D, the pigtail, that's for small pneumothoraces with mild to moderate symptoms. Simply not the case
0: here. Great, and one quick hypothetical. If a patient were to present with a chronic pneumothorax, say greater than 3 or 4 days old, what's the feared complication of re-expansion?
1: In patients with a pneumothorax that has been present for more than a few days, we're worried about developing re-expansion pulmonary
0: edema. Exactly. I've seen it once, and it's absolutely terrifying. You're up next. A 25-year-old 36-week pregnant woman presents to the ED with a complaint of vaginal bleeding. She denies associated cramping, abdominal pain, or preceding traumatic event. She describes the blood as bright red. Which of the following is a risk factor for development of this condition? Is it A, previous C-section, B, previous ectopic pregnancy, C, primiparity, or D, young maternal age?
1: So she's 36 weeks pregnant, and having seemingly painless vaginal bleeding with bright red blood? I think the answer here would be choice A, previous C-section.
0: Yep, you clearly knew this, but let me state it in more detail. Here we're concerned about placenta previa, which is when the placenta implants into the lower uterine segment and partially or completely overlays the cervical os. Just as this patient presented, patients with placenta previa often present with painless, bright red vaginal bleeding in the second or third trimesters. On exam, the uterus and lower abdomen will be soft and non-tender to palpation.
1: And risk factors include previous C-section, as well as advanced maternal age, grand multiparity, previous placenta previa, multiple gestations, previous multiple induced abortions, and preterm labor.
0: Right, so that's why choice C, primiparity, and choice D, young maternal age, are both incorrect answers. Choice B, previous ectopic, that's simply not a risk factor for placenta previa.
1: I guess the last thing to cover here is a diagnosis, since this isn't something we see very frequently. If the patient had good prenatal care, They may have already been diagnosed with previa. If they're coming in without prenatal care, you'll want a stat ultrasound, not just to assess the fetus, but also the placenta.
0: Great point. I've got the next question for you here. An 18-year-old presents with an injury to his left index finger. The patient was cleaning the nozzle of a high-pressure paint injector when it fired and punctured his finger. On exam, you note a small puncture wound with no exit wound. There's no erythema, and the site is mildly tender to palpation. Plain films do not demonstrate a fracture. Which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management? Is it A, consult a hand surgeon, B, perform a digital block and wound exploration, C, perform high-pressure syringe irrigation, or D, place a sugar-tongue splint for immobilization?
1: Tough questions. Let's go through this one by one. Choice A, consultation will certainly be necessary, but I'm not sure it needs to be the next step. Choice B, performing a digital block, That's contraindicated as it can increase the pressure in the area and lead to vascular compromise. Choice C, high-pressure irrigation, that should also be avoided because that would similarly increase the local pressure. Choice D, splinting, that will certainly eventually be needed but after the hand surgeon has seen the patient.
0: That leaves us with choice A to be the right answer. Consult a hand surgeon. Exactly. High-pressure injection injuries to the hands and fingers, although uncommon complaints, they carry significant risk for morbidity. The degree of injury, the amount of pressure, and the volume of the liquid injected all play an important role in the outcome. Such injuries cause a substantial inflammatory response and often require surgical debridement by a hand surgeon, even if they appear benign. Delayed treatment may lead to tissue necrosis and amputation.
1: And while you're waiting for the consultant, make sure to elevate the area, update the tetanus if needed, provide adequate analgesia, And start broad-spectrum antibiotics. And what's a common
0: late sequela of a high-pressure injection injury?
1: A common late sequela is joint stiffness. Other complications to be concerned for include infection and amputation. Alright, you're up for the next one. A scuba diver returns to the surface and is unconscious. Which of the following is the likely diagnosis? Is it A, air embolism, B,
0: bends, C, cerebral edema, or D, nitrogen narcosis? Oh, scuba injuries, not something we often encounter in New York City, but I guess far more common internationally and even on the west coast. So here we have a scuba ascent and an unconscious patient. I'm going to go with choice A, air embolism.
1: You're right, this guy likely has an air embolism. Air embolisms occur when air bubbles cross the alveolar capillary membrane and move into the pulmonary venous circulation. From the pulmonary venous circulation, the air bubbles travel to the left heart and then into the arterial circulation.
0: Right, and from the heart, they can really travel to any organ, but the coronary and cerebral arteries are at particular risk. And any diver who loses consciousness during ascent, they should be presumed to have a cerebral gas embolism. Even if a diver loses consciousness within 10 minutes of surfacing, they should still be assumed to have an air embolism.
1: And the treatment is recompression through a hyperbaric chamber. The diver definitely shouldn't go diving again to achieve recompression. As you just mentioned, an air embolism can go to the cerebral circulation, leading to weakness, dysarthria, and may even look like an acute stroke. In severe cases, the patient will be unconscious.
0: Remember that in the pulmonary circulation, an air embolism can lead to dyspnea, hemoptysis, and chest pain. In the coronary circulation, an air embolism can lead to chest pain, diaphoresis, and dysrhythmias. We haven't talked about dive injuries before on Roshcast, so why don't you take us through the other answer choices? Sure. Choice B,
1: the bends. That occurs during a scent that is too fast. Nitrogen that has dissolved into the blood comes out and forms bubbles in the tissues, leading to muscle and joint pain. This can be avoided by ascending slowly and making frequent stops during ascent. Choice C, cerebral edema, that occurs in high-altitude injuries, not dive injuries. And choice D, nitrogen narcosis, that's due to the anesthetic effect of nitrogen at high pressures. This occurs when the partial pressure of nitrogen increases in the blood during deep dives. Typically, the depth required for nitrogen narcosis is anything beyond 100 feet. With such large quantities of dissolved nitrogen, the diver experiences
0: an anesthetic-like effect with impaired motor and behavior problems and feels as though they were drunk. We'll have to periodically review this to really drive it home since, again, we all don't see it that often. All right, you're up next. A 34-year-old woman with HIV presents with cough and shortness of breath. Her oxygen saturation is 93% on room air, the partial arterial oxygen tension is 75, and the AA gradient is 30 Her chest x-ray shows diffuse interstitial infiltrates. What treatment is indicated? Is it A, azithromycin and outpatient follow-up, B, bronchodilators and corticosteroids, C, doxycycline, or D, trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole? Diffuse interstitial
1: infiltrates, HIV, AA gradient of 30. This has to be PCP pneumonia or PJP pneumonia, which is treated with choice D, trimethoprim, Sulfamethoxazole.
0: And if you pull up the image on the blog or look at our Twitter post on this episode, you'll see the characteristic X-ray with diffuse interstitial infiltrates in the classic, quote, bat wing" configuration. Patients with HIV and CD4 counts below 200 are at risk for PCP or PJP pneumonia, which is caused by the yeast-like fungus Pneumocystis geravitsi. Patients often present with hypoxia, especially on exertion, in addition to a nonproductive cough, pleuritic chest pain, fever, dyspnea, and fatigue.
1: Although I didn't need it to answer this question, remind me what the deal is with the arterial oxygen tension and AA gradient. Great question.
0: In any patient with PCP pneumonia with an arterial oxygen tension less than 70 or an AA gradient greater than 35, corticosteroids have been shown to not only reduce clinical deterioration, but they also reduce mortality. So she wouldn't end up meeting criteria for corticosteroid
1: treatment. While we're talking about fungal pneumonias, let's play a quick game of name that common cause of fungal
0: pneumonia. Gross, but let's go.
1: This fungus is found in the Ohio-Mississippi River Valley. It's associated with bird and bat droppings.
0: What is histoplasmosis?
1: Love the Jeopardy style answer. This fungus is found in the southwest U.S. It's associated with erythema nodosum and arthritis. What is coccidioidomycosis? Correct. This fungus is found primarily in the southeastern U.S. In addition to pneumonia, it can cause bone lesions.
0: What is blastomycosis?
1: That's also correct. Remember B for bone and blasto. And one last bonus question for you while we're talking about rare pneumonias. What bacterial cause of pneumonia is associated with hyponatremia and GI symptoms?
0: What is Legionella pneumonia?
1: Nice. Back to the regular program and the last question for today. A 16-year-old girl presents with pain to the right index finger after slamming it in a car door. Physical exam reveals a 50% subungual hematoma, And an x-ray shows a non-displaced distal tuft fracture. What management is indicated here? Is it A, oral antibiotics, splinting, and follow-up? B, splinting and follow-up? C, trephination, splinting, and follow-up? Or D, trephination, splinting, oral antibiotics, and
0: follow-up? Didn't someone just jam their finger in the last episode? A lot of hand injuries. Anyway, the answer choice here is C, trephination, splinting, and follow-up. You're absolutely right, but explain that to us in a little more detail. Alright, so the splinting and follow-up parts are pretty straightforward, as there's a diagnosed fracture, and both appear in every answer choice. The next factor to consider is plus or minus trephination. Subungual hematomas are a common sequela of digital crush injuries, and are often associated with distal phalanx fractures. Management hinges on pain relief, which can be achieved by relieving the increased pressure under the nail. This can be done by trephination. So that leaves us with the question of antibiotics or not. Administration of prophylactic antibiotics has not been shown to be helpful in this setting, so they aren't needed. If there's an already-existent wound, however, tetanus must be updated. And how exactly does one trephonate a nail? So this will depend largely upon what's immediately available in your hospital. Some hospitals have those really fancy electric nail trephonators that heat up and create a perfect hole in the nail under gentle pressure. In other hospitals, you may have to resort to the classic techniques, an 18-gauge needle or straightened paper clip heated and then applied with gentle pressure until the nail is penetrated. Only a drop or two of blood is needed for immediate pain relief.
1: So this likely obviates the need for nail removal. When should we remove the nail in
0: a patient with a subungual hematoma? Great question. The nail only needs to be removed if it's split, avulsed, or if a laceration extends to the skin. Good to know.
1: Let's close out the episode
0: with a very necessary rapid review. Attention pneumothorax may be managed immediately with needle decompression, but definitive management is with chest tube placement. In patients with a pneumothorax
1: more than a few days old, rapid re-expansion of the lung can lead to re-expansion pulmonary edema.
0: Placenta previa is caused by placental implantation in the lower uterine segment, either completely or partially overlaying the cervical os.
1: Placenta previa typically causes painless, bright red vaginal bleeding in the second or third trimester. The abdominal exam will be
0: benign. Risk factors for placenta previa include previous C-section, advanced maternal age, grand multiparity, previous placenta previa, multiple gestations, previous multiple induced abortions, and preterm labor.
1: High pressure injection injuries should be treated with broad spectrum antibiotics, extremity elevation, and hand surgery consultation. They carry
0: significant morbidity with delayed treatment leading to tissue necrosis, infection, and possible amputation. Suspect an air embolism whenever any diver loses consciousness upon ascent or within 10 minutes of surfacing.
1: Air embolisms can cause a wide range of symptoms, including stroke-like symptoms, dyspnea, hemoptysis, chest pain, and dysrhythmias. They're treated with
0: hyperbaric recompression. Nitrogen narcosis occurs in dives beyond 100 feet due to an increased concentration of dissolved nitrogen. Symptoms include impaired motor function and behavior problems. The bends is a dysbarism that occurs due to rapid ascent.
1: It presents with diffuse muscle and joint pain due to nitrogen bubble release into the tissues.
0: PCP, or now PJP, pneumonia is associated with diffuse interstitial infiltrates classically in a bat wing appearance. It's treated with trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole. If the arterial oxygen tension is less than 70 or the AA gradient is greater than 35, corticosteroids have been shown to reduce mortality. Histoplasmosis is found in the Ohio and Mississippi river valleys and is associated with bird and bat droppings. Blastomycosis is found in the southeast U.S. In addition to pneumonia, it can cause bone lesions. Coccidioidomycosis is found in the southwest U.S. It's associated with erythema nodosum and arthritis. Legionella pneumonia is associated with hyponatremia and gastrointestinal symptoms.
1: Distal tuft fractures are treated with nail trephination
0: if needed, splinting, and follow-up. Nail trephination can be accomplished by heating an 18-gauge needle or paper clip, or with an electric cautery device. A single hole usually adequately relieves the pressure with evacuation of a drop or two of blood. All right, so that wraps up episode 22. And before we officially sign off, be sure to head on over to the blog to check out some great images that complement these questions. We'll also be shooting them out over our at Roshcast Twitter handle if you follow us there. See you guys next week at Court.